This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 76 for Monday, April the 9th, 2012. Jason, happy Vimy Ridge Day. Vimy Ridge? <clears throat> Vimy really? Ridge. The anniversary of Vimy Ridge. From Wikipedia, I will tell you, the government of Canada declared April 9th as Vimy Ridge Day to honor and remember the Battle of Vimy Ridge, which took place during the First World War at Vimy Ridge, France, in 1917. Huh. And today is the uh, official holiday for that, although it's not a day off or anything, but it is uh, It is Vimy Ridge Day. Well, good for us. Good for us. All right. That was a short one. <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about Vimy Ridge. I knew it was a battle in World War One, but that's about it. Not like the pencils from last week. No, pencils uh, are not a battle in World War One <clears throat> at all. So speaking of last week, huge thanks to Jason and Karen from the Walking Dead cast for participating in our season two wrap-up crossover extravaganza. Extravaganza. Yep. We recorded the first half on this program, and if you've only listened to that, I highly recommend you head over to walkingdeadcast.com and check out the other half of our season two top 10 i listened back to their half yeah and i'm happy to say we don't sound like morons really at least i don't well that's you, probably you, true you don't sound like a moron either really <laughs> really you're not just teasing me no i'm not at all everything went great all right good <laughs> so everyone should head over and check that out on this program today, we have a very special guest joining us later for an interview. Very exciting. That is Emily Kinney, who plays Beth on The Walking Dead. But before that, we have some talk, uh, walk, we talking, have some walking stuff. Talking, walking stuff. Walking Dead news to cover. And we've also got uh, Holy Crap, Did You See That? and our listener feedback. So, Jason, uh-huh. without further delay, why don't we get right into The Walking Dead news? Don't delay. I will not delay. You're delaying. Next week on The Walking Dead. That's not right. That's not the right clip. I had to delay because I didn't have the thing open, <laughs> and I don't even have it here, so forget it. The news. <laughs> are we? What, are you just going to insert it and delete I'm, all this? Or? No, 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 no. We're just gonna we're just gonna keep going. Everything is fine. All right. Here comes the news. Without further delay. Yes. Glenn Mazzara was interviewed, and he was speaking about the season two DVD. This comes from FearNet.com. He had some interesting things to say. He said, we don't have a release date yet for the Season 2 DVD. That's not that interesting. Not but really, no. Presumably, it's going to be over the summer sometime, or I would guess late summer September, leading into Season 3. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a back-to-school thing. He did say there will be <laughs> back-to-school Walking Dead DVD. Well, why not? Here you go, kids. <laughs> uh, he did say, though, that there will be five commentaries for the first episode. Wow. Um, and... Uh, yeah, for the first episode, not just the first episode. I can't even read my own notes. Are they big enough? You want to make the font bigger? There will be five commentaries for the first episode, Pretty Much Dead Already, Nebraska, Judge Jury Executioner, ah, and the finale. That makes more sense. Doesn't it? Why would you do five commentaries on one episode? Why not? I, I think that's an interesting idea. There's, there's some DVDs and Blu-rays that come with multiple commentary tracks. I guess there's enough people involved, too, that they could get them all to record something. One with the producers and the writers and one with the actors. Yeah, that's true. That's only two. Well, I mean, you could expand that to, you know, this is the one with the director. Okay. This is the one with the second unit director. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, all kinds of good stuff. 
Well, he went on to say there will be many deleted scenes with his commentary as to why they were cut. There will be a special bonus feature of cut material that we sort of turned into a little featurette. Mm. I think there will be a lot of AMC's behind-the-scenes featurettes. So uh, I think the, when you buy it from iTunes, you get a um, you get a little feature on that episode. Yeah. I think we'll probably get those on the DVD. He also says there will also be in the deleted scenes... Um, I think almost 12 minutes of footage that was cut very early on, and I will do a detailed commentary as to why that was cut and why we didn't think it was pushing the story forward. Hmm. <clears throat> so that should be interesting. We'll get some deleted scenes. I'm going to assume it is that scene we saw way back of Shane being chased along on foot, on uh, being chased by zombies along the road, turning around to shoot them and kind of stumbling and stuff. And an explanation as to why he doesn't have his Jeep anymore? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, we'll find out how he got stuck there, what it was doing. You know, I think that footage was cut when they combined two, you know, footage for two episodes into the one season two premiere. Right. And so we might get a little bit more information on what's going on there and why they had to combine two into one. Okay. So it should be interesting, but we don't have a release date yet. Um, Back to school. I tell, I'm telling you, you can buy it with your pencils. <laughs> Good. Your back to school pencils. Your, your uh, backpack and your notebook and your Walking Dead DVDs. And your iPad. Don't forget your iPad. That's true these days. So McFarland Toys has revealed the next group of Walking Dead figures. We have coming up Rick Grimes 2, and apparently he will be in his civilian attire from season two. Okay. We've got Shane Walsh, Bicycle Girl, Zombie, of course, Ooh. and Well Zombie, whom we know as Teabag Zombie. Teabag Zombie. Well, zombie, that's his official name. One more, too. RV zombie, apparently. Oh, okay, the RV inspector. Yeah, so three zombies and Shane and Rick. Hero zombies. Yeah, hero zombies, exactly. That's great. Instead of just, the first pack was uh, just kind of random zombies, right? Uh, they weren't actual television characters? No, I think those those ones did appear on the program, but they weren't quite of the hero level as these three. Right. Now, these will be released in the fall of 2012, and my only question here is we're getting another rick figure already do we need another rick figure so soon what about some of the other characters that maybe we could have rick is so iconic though he's a central character uh you know i, I don't i'm not surprised by more rick character neither am i really but we've had the straightforward rick from the from the tv series we're right. not going to talk about the comic book ones but we've got straightforward rick we've got black and white rick that was yep. the special one we've got um Bloody Rick. Bloody Rick, which also came in a couple of varieties, didn't it? Non-bloody and bloody? Well, you just said non-bloody. Is there a, a, a bloody non-bloody? No, but there's that Rick that's in color, the one up on my shelf. That one's in black and white. I know, but there's a color version of that one, too. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Riveting, I know. Um, <laughs> that one there. There's, Great for radio. There's at least three, maybe four versions of Rick already. Right. Even though some of them are just variations on the, the, the one figure. So we've got no shortage of Rick Grimes from McFarlane. I wish we could get a Glenn or an Andrea or a, uh, a um, we have Daryl, but somebody else, you know? Zombie Shane. Well, we're getting Shane, living Shane. Maybe there'll be a zombie Shane variant. Zombie That'd be cool. Shane would be excellent. That'd be cool. Little ridges around his eyes like he had there. <laughs> yeah. He made a good zombie. He did. Anyways, um, you can buy these. At this point, it looks like fall 2012, and... Uh, I guess McFarlane is going to continue releasing toys based on our our Walking Dead characters. Great. All right, moving right along. 
the um, the Walking Dead video game by Telltale Games has released some gameplay footage, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. I wrote down in the notes the Talking Dead video game. Oh, that's, that's not right. <laughs> They're making that. <laughs> There's no video game of us sitting here speaking into microphones. How boring would that be? <laughs> Press A to talk. It's barely riveting enough doing this thing, let alone playing a video game about it. Come on, we're not that bad. So you've watched the footage. I've watched the footage. Uh-huh. What did you think of it? I thought it was very interesting. It's uh, sort of like Space Quest. <laughs> That's a throwback. Well, I love Space Quest. Space Quest, King's Quest, uh, Leisure Suit Larry, all that kind of stuff. You know, you look around, you do stuff, you talk to people. Um, it looks uh, not like your standard shooter. It's not like your standard role-playing game. It's very uh, looks very kind of stylized and comic booky, which I kind of like. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't seem like a... Uh, I don't know, just, you know, you're exploring, which I think is is really interesting. And it's what I really loved about King's Quest and Space Quest and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Police Quest. There was all kinds of quests. I know. That was back in the day, man. Those were the first video games that I really, really played. Me too. And you remember when they came out with 56,000 colors? <laughs> oh, that was a good day. Wasn't it 64,000 Yeah, colors? whatever. <laughs> right. It wasn't 8-bit anymore. It was 16-bit, and it was great. Yeah, those were good days. I thought the... Walking Dead telltale footage looked really good too. Um, I think it was very moody and just everything about it was was right. The color palette was right and the way everything looked was good. Slightly cartoony, which is kind of their style, but yep. not but it didn't take away from the horror of it all. Right. At at all. And and I thought the zombies that we saw looked really, really good. And it looked like, as you said, yeah, you kind of move around and you go from one thing to the next, looking at stuff, interacting with things, and progressing the story. And, of course, cut into that, you're attacked by zombies. Right. And it looks like most of the time you are attacked by maybe one or two zombies, at least what we saw in this footage. And you have to deal with, you know, removing them and killing them somehow. Right. Um, and uh, everything was timed or at least everything I saw in this was timed. So if you have a zombie on top of you, it gave you instructions on screen of what buttons to push or what to do, I guess, to get the zombie off of you. But there was a time, and presumably if you didn't do it right, you'd be chomped. Match the keyboard. Match the keyboard. (laughs) Slam your palm down on the... (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then even the uh, conversation options. You Mm -hmm. couldn't just sit there and think about what you're going to say. You had to choose something. Or before the time runs out, or presumably it will choose one randomly for you. Or you just seem creepy. When or somebody you just, asks you a question, you're like, um... <laughs> you just stand there silently. Well... <laughs> I don't know. Time's up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should hold conversations like that. You should go to work tomorrow and only talk to people like that. Yeah, time's up. I will choose an answer for you. <laughs> you haven't chosen in enough time. You always get the right answer then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the game comes out in late April, according to Telltale right now, and uh, it looks really fun. I'm totally going to buy it. Possibly pregnant April. I <laughs> I may actually turn on the Xbox tonight and submit my pre-order. There you go. Totally. Um, the uh, Jason over on the Walking Dead cast did an interview with the Telltale Games guys. Mm-hmm. I just listened to it, so it was really good. If you want to go check that out, I don't mind sending you over to them to hear that interview. There you go. So before we move on, we're going to take a quick break to thank one of our sponsors. When we come back, we'll have our interview with Emily Kinney. But before that, 
I just need to thank Audible for their support of this show. The listeners of The Talking Dead, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. What's our recommendation for this week, Mr. Miles? I'm going to recommend a book that you and I both read uh, by Arthur C. Clarke, the legendary <clears throat> Arthur C. Clarke. The master. Uh, Rendezvous with Rama. Love it. Which they've uh, apparently uh, been trying to turn into a television show for quite some time, uh, unsuccessfully as of yet. Uh, movie, not television show. Oh, yes, movie. Or a television show would work, but maybe, maybe not. Well, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of story there if you factor in the three... Uh, sequels to Rendezvous with Rama too. Yeah, but the you know the the first book was written as a standalone, and I really liked that idea. This thing comes into our solar system, and we go, "Holy crap! What is that thing?" And they go up and they take a look at this thing, and they find out it's a big hollow cylinder that's uh, spinning. So there's like gravity on the inside, and they go in and they explore around, and they and then they try and they just figure out what the hell is this? This is very weird. And then it just kind of leaves our solar system, and that's the end of that. Mm-hmm. What the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating, fascinating writing. Yeah, so Arthur C. Clarke, uh, narrated by Peter Genham and Robert J. Sawyer, comes in at a, uh, it's unabridged at nine hours and four minutes. Great. To download Rendezvous with Rama or any other audiobook from Audible for free, go to audibletrial.com slash talkingdead. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash talkingdead for your free audiobook. Joining us now on the show is the actress who plays Beth Green on The Walking Dead, Emily Kinney. Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and spend a few minutes chatting with us. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> First of all, I want to say congratulations on surviving the season two finale. <laughs> you were one of the uh, one of the few members of the Green family that made it out alive. <laughs> uh, I know. <laughs> Before we, we can talk, it was scary. Before we can talk about that, uh, let's, I want to go back to the beginning a little bit though and have okay. you tell us sort of how you got the part on the show, uh, what the audition, audition was like and who was there and how did it go in general? Okay. Um, well, it kind of was like, um, you know, I've been acting in New York um, for a few years now and um, it's kind of like any other audition where, well, every audition's different, but I just, I had first, an audition with the casting director and um, as you know in the beginning Beth didn't have a ton um, of I guess scenes so we actually auditioned with um, the Ma Maggie scenes you know but with kind of a different character in mind and um, so yeah I, I first auditioned with um, the casting director and then she sent my tape off and they gave me you know some different adjustments and um, um, did another audition and then um, found out that I had gotten apart um uh, a few days later so so yeah, did you just within a couple of weeks um you know sometimes things are drawn out with that an audition process you know you're like auditioning for something for months and then sometimes it's quicker and this is actually one of the quicker ones that i did maybe only you know within a couple of weeks um in just a couple auditions so did so. you respond to like a casting call they were looking for an actress of um, your type well they, I, I got the audition through my agent so um, I guess usually, you know, what casting directors do is they, you know, they go to different agencies and say what they're looking for, and then the agents, you know, recommend certain actors for the part. So um, that's how I that's how I got the audition was through my agency. Cool. And you said you were reading some of the scenes uh, with with Maggie. Did they appear in the on the show sort of the same as the way you had to audition them, or were big changes made uh, between auditioning um, and when you were filming? Yeah, changes, 
there were there were definitely you know changes. Um, I think they just had scenes just to kind of get an idea of how you are as an actor, and um, since it was a character that was in several episodes, it wasn't one particular scene. You know that they were casting of. I think casting from. I think they wanted to like get an idea of you as an actor and how you might and your personality and how you might fit in with the whole group. So the scenes that I auditioned with weren't weren't in the show, but um, you know they definitely informed, I guess my character and um they were kind of preliminary scenes that they were thinking of having in and then didn't and that sort of thing well cool i think they made the right yeah. call oh absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so before you got on the show were you familiar with the with the comics at all robert kirkman's source material for the program um well, well i knew of them i wasn't a huge you know comic book um person growing you know growing up and stuff um but once I got the part, I I remember I went to a bookstore nearby where I where I live on Upper West Side, and I just started like looking through them and reading them, and I was so excited to be a part of the show. I was so into it, and um, then of course you know I watched all of season one, and I I knew of it, but I hadn't you know I guess um, given it as much attention as I did once I got the part. You know I I really right. um, started looking at all of that and got really into it and enjoyed enjoyed reading some of the comics and of course watching season one so, so uh, if you if you've gone back and read them now you obviously know that your character Beth doesn't actually appear in the comics although right. Herschel's family does include three daughters Rachel Susie and Lacey I had to go back and look those up the other day it's been a while since I've read those so yeah, yeah. do you think do you think Beth is kind of a version of any of these comic book characters or do you play her as something entirely new um i really look at it as new i think it's been really fun to read the comics and like get an idea of where the whole story started and um definitely it informs you know like the green family and like maybe um is kind of an outline of where the story could be going but i but i also just have to always you know you have to stay true to like what is um, the TV show and what's written, you know, for the television show. And so I try, I guess I really, um, more focused on whatever they gave me, um, you know, in the scenes and what the characters said about Beth on the television show rather than trying to be like, okay, am I this character or is Beth, you know, being, you know, are the writers like, rather than trying to guess, I guess, um, I just went with, um, yeah, I, I took more of like a fresh, you know, mm -hmm. this is this is a, a new character that um, you know isn't in the comics. I kind of um, went about it that way. Um, but you know, different people have said, "Oh, you know, maybe you're like this character or this character," and I definitely like take that into consideration and um, think about that as well. And um, but um, I, yeah, <laughs> for sure. So they gave it, you it was a new. Yeah, it was kind of like I, I was imagining it as like a different a new character, a fresh new character that could be like it's a whole new thing, a whole like... Sure, you know. it gives you and everybody involved a chance to do something a little bit different than what's what's already happened, I guess. Yeah, you can kind of use your imagination and um, create a new, a new character. Cool, so Beth, um, you know, your character had a lot more to do in the second half of season two. You were around, of course, in the first half, but mostly in the background but when we came back yeah. from the second half after the, the the break for the holidays and so on starting with the you were really featured in the opening scene there where you are attacked 
by your on-screen zombie mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was thinking about that scene, and it occurred to me that you need to sort of as an actress go from, you know, grieving your mother's death in one instant to being absolutely terrified her, uh, her, of her in another. Was that a difficult transition for you? Was that a tough thing to do? You know, I don't remember the, the transition being difficult. I think, um, you know, uh, all the other actors, you know, they make it so easy. They, they're they really into the scene, and we all just imagined that, you know, Sophia came out of the barn and that, like, all these people have just died. And so everyone around me is in that mood, and so you, you're just going for that moment of being, like, so, so, so sad that, to see your mom be um, shot. Um, even if it's a zombie mom, you know. And then <laughs> when I went up to the zombie, she was so, like, fast and scary and, like, in my face that it wasn't hard to just make the switch of, like, ah, you know, it's just like if somebody comes up behind you and scares you. Even though I knew it was coming, you know, that um, the actress who was playing the zombie um, and doing all the stunt stuff, she just, like, came at me with such force that, like... It wasn't hard to just, like, make that switch, like, as, as if somebody scared you, you know. It's just, like, an instant switch of, like, ah, oh, my God, you know, being so scared. So those and, uh, um, the, the zombies are, are really as scary in person as they as they appear on the TV <laughs> show? Um, I think they come off even scarier on television because, you know, when we're, when we're on set, we see them, you know, during breaks and stuff, you know, checking their phone and eating with us at lunch. So, you know, you're talking to them in the van and stuff, so they're not quite as scary. But um, sometimes, you know, the first, like, in the morning when you show up on set and you first see a zombie, you kind of, like, you know, makes you jump for them, you know, in it. Right. Because um, they're, they are very good at doing the makeup for that, and um, it's, yeah, <laughs> it, it must have been. It looked like a, a just an intense scene to to play because I think that zombie got a hold of your hair and was just grabbing at you, you know, sort of wildly and randomly. I imagine it would be pretty pretty freaky on set, even though you know it's not real. Yeah, you know it's not real, but you're really trying to, you know, that's what acting is about. You're really trying to pretend that that's really what's happening to you. So, um, it was um, it. It was scary, but it's also, you know, it's it's fun. It's fun to pretend, and um, so I enjoyed shooting that scene, and it was great to finally have a little more, you know, of course, to do. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was so excited when I read that scene that I didn't die because, you know, <laughs> I was like, yeah. you know, I was reading so closely. <laughs> I remember the morning I got that script, and I was reading so closely, like, okay, it doesn't say that she gets bit, it doesn't say, you know... <laughs> Um, so I was, it was fun to play that scene and get a little more, you know, zombie action. <laughs> cool. Well, well, after that, um, you spent, uh, you spent some episodes kind of spending a lot of time lying in bed. And speaking of scripts, yeah. were you, how far ahead do you know how things are going to play out? Was there ever a time that you thought this might be it for Beth? Yeah, I wasn't, um, I, I wasn't sure. Sometimes we get the scripts just you know, um, maybe a week before we're going to start shooting, um, and sometimes scenes are still being changed, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, a few days after that, so you get, like, the first version. So I would never really know for sure until I got, like, the full script, you know. Um, I think 
if you have a storyline coming up, you know, they do a good job of kind of letting you know what a little what's going to happen. So you can plan as an actor and, like, kind of, you know, start making up things that you would want to do or just kind of to start thinking about, you know, what your character is going to go through. So I would get a few hints of, like, you know, you know, Beth is eventually going to come out of her shock and have these kind of issues to deal with and stuff, even if I didn't get to read the script. But um, you never know, for, you really don't know for sure, you know, what's going to happen. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen in the finale until I got the script, you know, mm-hmm. what, um, what was going to happen with Beth. So um, it's, it's always definitely a surprise. And then even once you get the script, you know, scenes can be changed. So... Um, so yeah, you never know for sure. It's always exciting. I would feel like, um, I, I would go back and forth between New York and Georgia. So sometimes my scripts would be, um, FedEx to me in New York. And it was, <laughs> I would say it was almost like, you know, Christmas morning or like birthday morning when you're like, <laughs> open up your presents. Like I would get the script you know, from FedEx or I just be like paging through it or, or sometimes they would email it to me, I guess too. But um, yeah, I guess I got it emailed a lot, but I just would remember like that instant getting it in my email or FedEx or whatever. And <laughs> well, you must have been uh, very pleasantly surprised to find out that uh, that you'd make it all the way through the season without uh, without getting getting killed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was um, I was I was happy about that. Um, so how much time did you did you actually spend on set shooting for season two? You said you went back and forth between New York and Georgia. How, how, yeah. how much of the time do you think were you down in Georgia? I think Glenn Mazzara said that it takes about eight days to shoot one episode. Were you there for the duration of the episodes that you were, were in? Yeah, it would, it would just depend on how they scheduled out, you know, the scenes. And um, sometimes I would have... A couple days before the whole before the weekend, so maybe then it would make sense for me to come back to New York. Maybe um, they're keeping me some that I needed to hear, go to an audition or something, you know. Um, and then sometimes it wouldn't really make sense, you know. They it, the way the schedule would work, I would maybe have a day off, but it wouldn't make sense to like fly back to New York. So I did spend quite a bit of time. The first half of the season. Um, you know, I wasn't involved quite as much, so I was going back and forth a lot more. The second half of the season, I was just down there a lot. Like maybe I was, I spent like over a month at least without coming back to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but on and off, you know, from July through November, I was down there, and um, really, it would usually just be weekends that I would be back in New York, or or maybe like weekend and like a couple days, or you know. So cool. it's dependent on the episode. So, so when you're on set, it, I mean, a lot of the, uh, the the costuming, you seem like you're uh, grubby and dirty. Do you have to spend the whole time feeling dirty? <laughs> um, sort of. I mean, the first thing you do when you get to set is usually get into costume and get into, you know, makeup or hair or whatever they're going to do so that that way you're kind of ready. Um, sometimes things move fast and sometimes things move slow, so they always kind of want you ready for whatever the next thing you're doing is. Right. So you did kind of spend, you <laughs> go in the makeup trailer and they would, sometimes they would wait for certain things, like, you know, your hands being all, like, dirty and grimy, you know, maybe they, if you want to, like, be able to eat lunch or whatever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> your hands all dirty. So certain things they would kind of wait, or, like, if we were still kind of deciding, okay, how much are you actually going to be, like, 
getting blood on you or, you know, you kind of need to be like on set to see what looks realistic or whatever. Mm-hmm. So some things would be on set, but, you know, a lot of times, yeah, you would spend, I would spend days with my, you know, my hair all kind of like crazy as though my mom <laughs> had just you know, grabbed my hair. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'd spend, you know, blood splattered on my face or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> so let me ask you a couple of, a couple more questions about your character a little bit more. W- one of the major themes of the show is how all these horrific events that are happening affect people and what it takes in a person to sort of do what's necessary to survive. Um, before the, uh, before the, the barn scene and Beth's attempted suicide, I got the feeling that she was a little bit sheltered from what was happening in the world so much. Now that she's been exposed to it all, do you think your character will harden a little bit and become a little bit tougher, maybe learn to survive on her own a little bit? Yeah, I think it's sort of, you know, a natural progression of like, I, I, I agree with you that she was definitely on the farm and they had found kind of like this system of dealing with walkers and um, I'm sure she had gone through a, a lot of traumatic events before that but I think that she really like trusted in her dad and her family to sort of you know they um, she was sort of like in this little in the farmhouse and sheltered like you said um, and then I think once that was you know those doors were kind of like completely blown open with like the group coming in and you know new people um, then she started to question what was going on around her and then, you know, whether or not it's worth it <laughs> to k- continue in this, like, crazy world. And then once you decide you're going to, I think, yeah, you can't help but, well, if, if I'm going to try to stay in this world and, like, if I've found a reason to sort of live and try to survive, then you have to harden up a little bit. You know, you have to become tougher and you have to grow up a little bit um so i'm i'm curious too to see what is going to happen um i always think about andrea's character you know how she's sort of like that you saw her go through that in season two of like you know her character getting tougher and um um i wonder if that's kind of happening with everyone a little bit but i think definitely with beth being so much younger and um you know, she's going to have to kind of, like, grow up and get tougher. Mm-hmm. Well, and, like, Laurie Holden and Andrea's, and the, the character of Andrea has had what I think may be a similar arc to what Beth is going to be going through, you know? Didn't want to go on, didn't want to live in this world, and then came to the realization that maybe it is worth trying to survive and became uh, much more focused on survival and figuring out how to continue living in a in a world like this. Yeah, definitely. I definitely see some similarities in their characters. I always think of, like, that scene with her and her sister from season one, and I I felt like that was somehow, I mean, they're different, but in some ways similar, you know, with the, mm-hmm. um, with the mom being right in front of her, like, seeing her die right in front, you know, turn into a zombie, and then also seeing her get, um, you know, her head, <laughs> get her... <laughs> killed as a zombie as well, you know, right in front of her and having to deal with that in such, like, an immediate um, way and then deciding whether or not, you know, you should go on. I think they're going through, or they went through, like, similar arcs, you know, just at different times. Mm-hmm. So you've been acting for 
five or six years now, I think, and you're you're part of a cast on The Walking Dead that includes people like Laurie Holden, as we mentioned, and of course, Jeffrey DeMunn, or did include Jeffrey DeMunn, yeah. and you know people like Scott Wilson. These are actors that have been around for a really long time and are very experienced. Do you learn anything from working with them and being a part of this big cast? Yeah, I mean, I just feel like it's such a gift, like as... Um I guess a younger actor and um, getting to see the things that they do and um, the the process that they go through, um, and you can kind of see see the things they do to prepare for scenes, and you can try them on and see if it works for you. And um, it's just been such um, such a gift. I think um, I love watching Andrew Lincoln on set. You know, he really knows what works. It seems to me, anyway, that he seems to know what works for him, and it changes depending on the scene. And mm-hmm. um, uh, I think he's he's great. You know, everyone has their different way. You know, depending on what their character is and what they have to do that day in the scene. And um, it's been such a gift to be able to. You know, in the first half of the season, um, I didn't have as much to do, but I would I was still around a lot on set, or like you know, I was kind of in the background and. That was just that was great for me because I got to watch these people and slowly become part of um, the group and the cast and um, and yeah, watch and learn and um, that's been so nice and so fun. I feel like I've learned a lot. You know, Scott Wilson is so welcoming. It's almost like he is our he is kind of like this father figure, you know, for <laughs> um, me and Lauren. We've even had little like you know family family dinners (laughs) Um, at his place before so that's been really fun cool is there anybody that you uh, that you haven't had a scene with really yet that you really look forward to maybe sharing some screen time with oh man I that's such a great question I I just love watching like um, I love Melissa I just think she's such a great actress um, I loved doing that scene with Andrea. I know it was such a, a short scene, but where she said, um, you know, the pain doesn't go away, you just make room for it. Uh-huh. I just really enjoyed do, shooting that scene that day. I would love to have more scenes with um, Lori Holden because I think she's such a fabulous actress. Well, I mean, everyone's so good. Um, but, you know, since there are some, like, things with our characters that are similar, it would be cool to have scenes with her or... Um, um, I don't know. That's such a good question. I mean, they're all so great. I would be, I would be, you know, happy to be acting with any of them. What about um, Norman Reedus? Everyone seems to love oh, Norman. Of course, of course. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, Norman is so charismatic and just so fun to be around on set. And I mean, I, I just think he's such a great person, and I, I love hanging out with him. I mean, I would love to do a scene with him, of course. Maybe he could, like, you know, like, help me, you know, maybe kill some zombies. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that would be amazing. So, yeah, definitely Norman. Cool. So the season finale, it it broke all kinds of ratings records for AMC. I think 9 million people tuned in, which is which is amazing. Yeah. What do you think it is about The Walking Dead that has people so hooked? What do you, What do you think draws them in like that? Well, I think that 
that's, you know, first of all, it's still, like, action-packed, you know, with the zombies and, like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? And you just don't know. And there's that whole element of it. But then I think you do get to know the characters in a way that's, like, you really grab onto them and you really, like, care for them and what they're going through. And so there's, like, these, you know, it's not just, like, a horror film, you know, where, like, maybe you go and you're scared and it's, you know, you you jump and you scream and then you leave and forget about it. You know, I think mm-hmm. that there's this other element of, like, okay, what do human beings do when there's these, like, really, when they're put in these, like, really horrible circumstances, like, how do they deal with it and how do they change and how do they come together or, or um, start to, you know, turn on each other. Um I think that, you know, everyone gets so invested in the characters, so it becomes not just, like, this, this like, horror film or just about, like, zombies or, you know. <laughs> it, it becomes, like, about... You, you start to relate to certain characters and you, um, I guess, wonder what you would do in the, mm-hmm. you know, in the apocalypse, the zombie apocalypse. And um, so there's that, I think. Cool. Well... Uh, off the top, we said that, you know, you survived the finale, which is great. Do you think it's safe to say that moving forward into season three that Beth takes a larger role in the group and you'll be you'll be on screen a little bit more often? Um, I hope so. I um, I have no idea, you know, so um, but I sure, sure hope so. <laughs> Well, we we do too. Um, you, okay. you know, we think you 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 were great on the show and the oh, the little role that you had, but it was an essential one. Um, so I want to talk about your music career a little bit too. Of course, you're not yeah. only an actor, but a successful musician. And so back in the fall, you you released an EP called Bluetooth Brush, which I've been listening to a lot in the last couple of days. Would you oh, nice. would you say that that music was your first love before acting? I've always, um, I first got into, like, performing and, and, um, things like that with music, you know, I would, like, sing when I was little, um, I sang at, like, talent shows and in church and that kind of thing, and, um, so that's kind of how I first got into, like, performing and really loving, like, connecting with an audience, and, um, but as I got older, I started to just, like, really fall in love with acting and, like, theater and the stage, and, I sort of, um, uh, I still, like, love singing and musical theater and um, all of that, but I, I started to sort of feel like first I was an actor, you know, and I still feel that way in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. I mean, acting is how I support myself, and um, I, ju- I could just be in, like, a theater all day long, you know? <laughs> I, I love plays and I love movies, but... Um, I think singing for like starting to write songs kind of brought me back to singing and like when I was little I mean I loved like my Carrie and like these, <laughs> even though my music doesn't sound like that really at all um, I um, I think I came back to music when you know with acting you have all these an acting career you have these ups and downs you have times when you're really busy and then you have times when you're not as busy and you have this downtime and I think I found myself in my downtime really still wanting to be creative mm-hmm. and wanting to um, express myself or connect to an audience and so I started writing songs and um, it just became this thing that I started to like really fall in love with and you know the more I would sing for um, my producer um, who or the guy that produced my blue toothbrush EP I had sang some songs for him I met him 
doing um, Spring Awakening. Um, he was a bass player, and he played bass for a few shows that we did for Spring Awakening. And um, he was just so encouraging, like, wow, these songs are really good. They're really special. And I started to um, really feel like it was just like, you know, same way I was acting, like almost like I have to do this. Like, this is really fun. And each time I sing songs for people, they give me such great feedback that I just like, I have to keep doing this. And now it's become like, you know, I'm playing shows and I have this great band now that's come together. I've, I've played with different people, but now I've sort of started to um, get this whole band together. And um, we love playing shows around the city and I just love it. And I would love if I spent more time doing it, you know, if I split my time between like acting mm -hmm. and then also singing and writing songs. I mean, I just, I love writing songs. So <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the EP who, who produced the EP? Um, this guy, Conrad Korsh, um, he has a production company called Scrumptious Music. Oh, great. And um, he's the bass player for Rod Stewart as well as, and he plays bass for like a lot of different people, but he's also, you know, a talented writer himself. Yeah. So, um, so being in the studio is very much a, a different animal than, uh, than being on stage. Do you, uh, do you enjoy it just as much? Yeah, I like each, you know, each part of the process. I remember putting this together and, and it was really new for me and, fun to just like spend all day in the studio sort of making up different little music parts and adding different instruments seeing if we like them you know changing the words here and there um seeing how to sing a certain phrase like that's so creative and so fun and it's and then and then at the end of the day you have this track that you can listen to and it's like this neat thing that you've created um so that's really really fun but from you know there's nothing like performing on stage i mean you don't know how it's going to come out you know <laughs> like, yeah. there's something sort of like scary and awesome about it you know you don't you know you could always still screw up i remember people saying to me when i was doing spring waking like you just get bored like you get you know like are, is it just become you know autopilot and i'm like well you can still mess up you know or you can <laughs> still make it great like it doesn't matter you your you know your memory can go and you could you know um, anything could happen and I think it's so exciting and like anything could happen in like a great way like you could sing a song and just it, it come out awesome or like you know everything just clicks and um, you hit a note and it sounds amazing with like your band and everyone's kind of grooving on the same page so I just think live performances are so fun um, but I like every moment of the process you know well, you don't get the benefit of take two when you're performing live, that's for sure. <laughs> no. That's true, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so listening to the EP, I kind of got the feeling that New York City has had a pretty strong influence on your, your songs and your life in, in general. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely, you know, I'm, I come from this, like, really small town in Nebraska, um, Wayne, Nebraska, where I went to high school, and my parents grew up in this little town, and I spent a lot of time there, too, in North Bend, Nebraska. Um, and um, I really hadn't traveled a lot when I moved to New York City. I mean, um, you know, we would go on vacations maybe when I was little, but um, I hadn't um, been to a lot of big cities. So uh, I think New York City was um, kind of a culture shock at first for me. It took you know, it took a good, I would say the first year, it was like, 
I was there because I wanted to do acting, and that was, like, my driving force. And then, you know, once – but now it's, it's different for me. I feel like New York City is my home. I have friends here. I've met so many people um, that I just love. And um, so now it's become, you know, a different thing. And I, th- I think, though, it definitely did have an impact on my – music and um you know meeting meeting so many different people and people having different points of view and mm-hmm. so well new york city is in my, just the best city in the world in, in my opinion so i can see <laughs> coming from a, a little town having not really ever traveled too much to that just the biggest most amazing place in the world would really be quite something and could could have a lot of influence on a person yeah and you know i think at first um, it was it was hard, but I, um, you know, I. It's like one of the whole, you know, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Now I, I don't feel like going to a new city or, or having to set up travel plans somewhere. It's not scary to me. It's because um, I feel like you know, if you could, if I did it once, I could do it again. You know, like moving to a new place or, you know, I now I love um, seeing new cities. Cool. So. Yeah. Uh, listening to it, I also, you know, all the songs seem to be about relationships and, and yeah. things like that. And to me, the album felt like it progressed from the beginning with a sort of playful, lighthearted take on things to a more adult or serious place towards the end. When you were writing these songs, was this a progression that you had in mind? Was it a conscious decision to go that way? Well, all those, the songs on this particular EP were all sort of written um, in dur- during, like, kind of the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was on tour with this show, August Osage County. And so I was actually away from the city at the time, but I think I was reflecting back on, like, kind of all the different things I had been through. Um, and I think, you know, being an actor, you're... you're um, traveling a lot, your every day is so different, and I think, you know, relationships, you're, but you're meeting new people all the time, you're, you're meeting new people who maybe you'd want to date or whatever, you know, <laughs> and um, I think it was um, hard for me to figure out how that was going to fit in, you know, I really, I really moved to the city because I loved acting and singing, and, um, but of course, you know, everyone wants to be in love and, you know, have a boyfriend, and I think, um, Figuring out how that was going to fit in in my life um, was, you know, and is, you know, it's something that I was um, trying to figure out, you know, and trying to um, sort through. You know, I was Mm -hmm. on tour, like, almost sort of, like, by myself. You know, you can't exactly, like, date anyone or, you know, (laughs) and in this particular cast, I was, like, basically the youngest. I was... um, it's about a big family, and I played, you know, the kid, the um, the right. youngest in the family. And so I was, you know, on my own a bit, and um, I think I was reflecting back on all these relationships and, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted even. Well, there's a there's a personal edge to this record. I can just tell, you know, through the lyrics and, and, and so on. And um, it, it sounds like, you know, you've really you've really put a lot of yourself into these songs and, 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 uh, and the lyrics that you've written. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're definitely, um, especially this EP, I drew a lot on just like my own 
experiences. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's so fun to be an actor and play different parts, play people who aren't me, and, um, you know, but then it's kind of nice, too, to have this other outlet to sort of um, sort through things. I think mm -hmm. what's cool about writing a song is you can take maybe something difficult you've been through and you can kind of <laughs> make words rhyme and put it in like and this nice little <laughs> this nice little beginning middle and you know put it into this nice little story this nice little song and um, it feels like maybe you worked something out you know you've made sense of it a bit or at least that you're getting some use out of it you know you're making it into this song hmm. and so um, maybe I use that a little bit for well, I imagine you'll be busy with season three starting next month, I believe. But what's coming up on the music side things for you? Are you going to be touring? Or are you going to be continuing to play shows around New York and the area and stuff like that? Yeah, I'm going to keep... I have so many um, new songs. You know, that EP was just like just a few of like... I had written so many songs on tour and now too I feel like my music and like style is like progressing and changing as it does you know it's still me and it's still like the way you know my perspective on things um but i'm exploring different sounds and um playing with a really cool group of guys um and um so i'm writing a lot and i'm definitely going to play more for sure in new york city mm -hmm. um and then i i want to play some shows in atlanta while i'm shooting um, but so yeah, just more shows, more touring, and I'm kind of trying to put together what I'm going to record next because I want my next thing to be, you know, have it make sense, you know, from mm -hmm. my last album to the next thing still incorporate some similar sounds, but um, it's definitely progressed and I have, you know, new stories and new songs. And um, so both, you know, both, I guess more recording and um, more shows. Maybe after a third season, maybe then I would you know, plan something more like a tour where I could go uh -huh. to a bunch of different cities. I think right now I'm just, you know, focused more in New York City, L.A., maybe Atlanta, places that are easy for me and my band to get to, you know. Sure. Um, well, we're in Toronto. We're based out of Toronto in Canada, so if you ever... I would ever... love to do a show. <laughs> I, I have a good music friend, actually, who does a lot of jazz music in Toronto, so I've been wanting to play there for sure and maybe do something with him. Well, by all means, let us know when you're coming up, and we'll we'll make our way out okay. to the show. We'll be there for sure. For sure. Um, we're <laughs> going to... Great. We're going to play one of the songs from the EP, the title track, Blue Toothbrush. Do you, do you want to say anything about it and introduce the song in any way? Um, well, um, hmm, I don't know. I hope you uh, <laughs> enjoy it. Um, it was about, um, um, I don't know. You know, I wrote this while I was on tour, and I, it, it is actually about a toothbrush that I wondered about. You know? <laughs> so, and I think, you know, I think we all have things that we sort of, you know, you leave behind something, and you... I, I know I've done that a lot where like, you know, you leave a hotel room and you leave, you know, you leave a book there, you leave something mm -hmm. behind and you think, you wonder what happened to it. You wonder if anybody cares about it as much as you do. I've left notebooks before on planes and I thought to myself, oh, I'm going to find this and it's going to mean nothing to them. You know, it's just a silly notebook and um, we have these like strange object, objects like, you know, a toothbrush and maybe it means something more to you that you left it at this person's house. Or maybe to that person, it doesn't mean much at all. And, um, you know, um, I think it's an interesting thing to think about, all this stuff in our lives. <laughs> Sounds like you've left a trail of, of 
<laughs> of things behind you as you've traveled yeah, around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's great. So we're going to play Blue okay. Toothbrush from the EP. And you can find Emily at emilykinneymusic.com. The EP Blue Toothbrush is available online at CD Baby or iTunes. Is there anywhere else you'd like to direct people to find it or anything else that you're doing? Um, well, you, know, you can always like follow me on Twitter. I, um, I always let people know I'm having shows you know, on that. And then there's an Emily Kinney Music Facebook page, um, too. And um, you know, I keep everyone updated. Not just on my music stuff, but anything having to do with The Walking Dead. You know, I'm always, like, you know, commenting on that kind of stuff. So that's fun. So follow me on Twitter and all that, if you like. <laughs> sure. What's the Twitter uh, address? Oh, it's twitter.com slash emmykinney. So it's E-M-M-Y-K-I-N-N-E-Y. Some of my friends call me Emmy. It's Emily, so. Great. Well, yeah. Emmy or Emily, thank you so much for <laughs> taking the time to come on and chat with us. It was wonderful. And good luck in everything with the music and moving ahead with The Walking Dead Season 3 and beyond, I hope. Oh, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Do you have my blue toothbrush? I left it near the bathroom sink. It's been a couple months, I think. You tossed it if I had to guess. I hope it never caused you stress. I know how you don't like a mess You rarely have the time each day to deal with tooth or heart decay of someone who's a million miles away But still I thought that I could say I've been thinking about winter
Holy crap. Did you see that? All right. On Holy Crap this week, we have one email sent in from Kent in Kentucky. And he says, I have a couple Holy Crap Did You See That moments and a Holy Crap Did You Hear That for the season finale. In the walker herd that made its way to the farm, there was a doctor zombie. And every time I saw him, I thought of Jason and how he has stated several times that he does not want niche zombies. I would actually like to see one every once in a while, so uh, as long as it doesn't get out of hand. My second did you see that was when Andrea busts the walker with the butt of her gun. It seems like a mess of black goop comes out. Maybe the walker brains are disintegrating. Oh, maybe. So what do you, did you notice the doctor zombie? No, I didn't notice the doctor <laughs> zombie. Neither did I for some reason. You're going to have to go back and look. Yeah. Now, doctor I, zombie is not the most offensive, like, niche zombie, I don't think. No. I mean, I, we saw soldier zombies when they went to the... Uh, um, Went to the school there where uh, Shane shot Otis in the leg. Mm-hmm. We saw, yeah, we, I think we also saw some medical personnel zombie there as well. But that makes sense for that setting, right? It does. So it's not like we have a whole football team shambling down the road. No, the the thing about these these specific niche type zombies are, I mean, they're going to happen. That's the thing, you know. I know you don't like to see them on this show because they've been done before. Right. But if there was actually a zombie apocalypse, people are going to be turned into zombies when they're at work at the hospital and wearing their scrubs. Right. Or when they're on their high school football team and practicing. And, you know, this is just going to happen. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that these sorts of zombies would exist. Right. That's but, true. But I see your point. I mean... It's a very fine line. Yeah. You don't really need them on the show because there's enough just kind of regular, you know, people sitting around in their underwear at home when they turned into a zombie, so... Right. Well, yeah. I mean, as long as uh, <laughs> as long as the, the niche zombie, zombies are uh, appearing in context, mm-hmm. right? You have a soldier zombie at an installation where there were soldiers. That's fine. Uh, having, uh, you know, a clown zombie coming down the road. I mean, sure, you know, it might have happened that <laughs> this guy got, uh, you know, he's at doing a kid's birthday party. He was in the middle of making a balloon animal, and one of the kids attacked him, right? Uh-huh. You know, it can happen, and there probably will be clown zombies wandering around. Boy, that could happen even not in the zombie apocalypse. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> these kids are crazy. Yes, <laughs> when, yes sir. When they want a balloon animal, they'll, they'll come after you. Uh, yeah, so the uh, in, you can have out of context kind of weird zombies, but y- you have to you have to just go down that line with uh, a lot of care. You do. You don't want to overdo it. That's the key. Yeah. Well, thank you, Kent from Kentucky, for writing in. If anyone else has holy crap, did you see that moments? By all means, send them into our voicemail line or give us an email. I imagine there will be. Uh, uh, not so many of those coming in during the summer since there is no uh, no Walking Dead on TV. But if you catch a rerun or you're watching an episode again and you notice something that you never didn't notice the first time, let us know. Right. Holy crap, do you remember that? <laughs> we should change the, <laughs> change the segment for the summer. It might. That'd be a good idea. <laughs> All right. Listener feedback. It is time for listener feedback. We have a few calls to play this week. The first one is from TJ in Wisconsin. Uh, he has something to say about Michonne's chained zombies. Hey guys, this is TJ from Beloit, Wisconsin. I'm calling about the uh, Michonne zombie guards. You were wondering um, why they weren't attacking her all the time, you know? Um, on the uh, Talking Dead after show, they actually have an after after show on the uh, AMC website. And uh, Robert Kirkland was asked. <clears throat> This same question. 
uh, he said that they probably had killed, tried to kill her eventually. Or, I mean, when they first started, when she first chopped off their arms, they probably had tried to kill her, but they gave up eventually, not, you know, because they couldn't do it. So I guess they're just the uh, lost the will to live type zombies. I don't know. All right, thanks. Bye. Lost the will to live type zombies. I think we mentioned that uh, briefly on last week's show, too. But for anyone that was still wondering, these zombies did try to attack Michonne for a while. Yeah. Realized they couldn't really make any progress and just got lazy or bored and stopped. Yeah, because uh, she mentions that uh, you know they gave up a long time ago. Yeah, exactly. Right. All right, our next call comes from Cody in West Virginia on what T-Dog is holding. Hey, you guys, this is Cody from West Virginia, and I've been waiting to hear uh, someone make a comment, but no one has yet that I can hear. But uh, the scene after Dale dies and everyone goes on uh, the angst killing spree, um, anyone notice what's in uh, T-Dog's hand? Now, I've heard the creators of the show mention several times T-Dog has nothing to do with Tyrese, but watch that scene again. Look what's in the black man's hand. Come on now. Oh, by the way, it's a hammer. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Cody from West Virginia. Um, two comments about this. There has been some speculation online that they are going to not introduce the character of Tyrese into the show in season three or somewhere in four or beyond, and instead they're going to develop T-Dog into that character. Right. <clears throat> um, I could see it happening, but I think... The producers and maybe Robert Kirkman have kind of come out and said, no, T-Dog's his own man. We may or may not get to Tyrese later on at some point. Right. Um, but what Cody is saying that is that T-Dog had a hammer, was using a hammer to kill zombies, and that's something Tyrese did in the comic book. So it's just one of those things that links them together a little bit more and is going to make people speculate that eh, maybe T-Dog is going to become the Tyrese character. See, hammer makes sense. Mm -hmm. Scythe? Not so much. Uh, it's a lot easier to wield a hammer, but you have to be closer to the zombie. You do have to be closer to the zombie, but uh, yeah, it's just that swinging that scythe around really <laughs> takes. Uh... Well, and, and 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 a scythe is 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 good for one zombie at a time. You have to kill that one zombie, right. and then you need time to pull it out and kind of refocus and get the next one. With a hammer, you can just be hammering like crazy. Yeah, I'm telling you, the best weapon I can think of is a flattened, sharpened shovel. You take a shovel, you hammer it flat, you sharpen the edge. Yeah. Uh, that's a good little weapon right there. Pretty sharp to begin with, actually. Yeah. It's not bad. Um, it, the other thing that Cody's call reminded me of is that scene in um, uh, Dr. Horrible. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> where, where Nathan Fillion is talking about his hammer <laughs> right. and then pauses and comes back at the end and goes, the hammer's my penis. <laughs> yeah, that was such a... Go check that out. Go Dr. check Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Yep. It was fantastic. Go check that out. Okay, we have another call from Dave in New York speculating about Season 3 a little bit. Hi, guys. This is Dave from Syracuse, New York. Just caught up with all your podcasts, and i got to say, your last podcast was amazing. It was cool to listen to Lisa and hear her thoughts. Um, I don't really have a holy crap to just see that or anything, but I was just reading the comics the other day, and something occurred to me. Uh, spoilers for anyone who hasn't read the comics you may want to skip this we all know Rick loses his hand in the comics well he chopped off Merle's hand in season 1 what if in season 3 
where we know the governor's coming, we find out that Merle's at the governor's camp, and Rick is taken there, and Merle says, hey, an eye for an eye, and chops his hand off. Just an idea. Maybe that's how they're going to do it. Anyway, love the podcast, and keep up the great work. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dave. Um, I think that's entirely possible. It is. I kind of expect Merle to be part of the group that is being led by the governor, uh, or or at least be on his own and somehow get involved with them. Uh, so, you know, it's completely within the realm of possibility that, that uh, you know, Rick can will meet up again with, with Merle and someone will lose a hand right i i do have a you know i don't i don't not don't necessarily think rick's going to lose a hand and i don't think it's for storytelling reasons uh you know uh, i may I, I think i mentioned this way before the show even started when we were podcasting before uh, uh the first season even aired mm-hmm. was that um the commitment to uh practical and special effects when a main character loses a limb like that is significant so uh, if if Rick didn't have a hand, every shot of him would require, uh, you know, him wearing a blue glove and then, uh, you know, having CG, uh, you know, having computer graphics paint out his hand so you can't see it anymore. I think that's uh, that's a way too big of a commitment financially and effort wise for a television show. Yeah. So I, I uh, and that, that's why I don't think they're going to do that. But I think it would be great storytelling wise. I think Rick should lose his hand. It, yeah, I agree with you. I think it would be tough to pull off, and it might even be tough to convince you know the network to, to, that we're going to cut our main character's hand off. It's going to increase cost, and it's going to you know it's going to make it that much more difficult for him to do anything, right. and which which puts pressure on the writers and just you know I don't don't think it would work, right. Uh, comic medium is far different from TV as a medium. Much less uh, computer graphic special effects in a comic. <laughs> in a comic, yeah. So we got an email from Graham from the internet, and he writes in and says, In regards to season two of The Walking Dead, I just wanted to say that on your podcast when discussing the finale, you had wondered what Jimmy or how Jimmy knew to drive around the back of the barn and what Daryl had said to him. Daryl said to Jimmy that it must have been Rick and Shane that started the fire and they were trying to get out around back. Why don't you circle around? Then off Jimmy goes. What really bugged me about this scene was when Jimmy pulls up to the back of the barn, he pulls up right against the huge group of walkers and while Rick and Carl jump on to the top of the RV, he gets up from behind the wheel and goes to open the door. Yeah. WTF. (laughs) That's why I was yelling, Jimmy, what are you doing? Jimmy, don't get up. Jimmy, don't stop. Jimmy's down. <laughs> he has eyes. He must have seen all the zombies he pulled up beside of. Why go open the door? Everyone knows that you let your buddies jump on the roof. They give the roof a smack to let you know they're on, and you take off. Get out of danger. Yeah, and that roof has a roof rack, right? Uh-huh. There's so all kinds of stuff to grab onto. To hold on to. Uh, Graham finishes with, you don't take your time and wait for them to climb down and go open the door and get in. That was just a stupid move and really annoyed me. Yeah, I agree. Jimmy made a mistake. He did, and it cost him his life. He did. Mark, from 18 Miles Out, writes, and he says, When reading the graphic novels, I felt the appearance of Michonne was the exact moment where the books really turned into a comic, and that if they showed uh, her on TV with walkers chained to leashes, a lot of viewers would see it as a bit of a jump-the-shark moment. While I was giddy as a (laughs) schoolgirl, I fear TV watchers will shake their heads. Thoughts? 
So what do you think here, Jason? Is it is it too much to ask for the general sort of population to look at a character that has zombies chained to her with a samurai sword on a serious TV show and not go, come on? I don't know. I'm, I'm too much uh, of a giddy schoolgirl myself seeing, seeing Michonne <laughs> show up. We do all have that problem a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I squealed. I'm not. I'm not too proud to admit it. When uh, Michonne showed up on screen, mm-hmm. I squealed. <clears throat> um, I'm not sure. I think somebody showing up uh, with, you know, a, a whole truck full of guns might be bad. Like if he, if somebody showed up with uh, all kinds of firepower, I think that would be uh, a little overkill. Uh, or you mean it just might be too. To make it too easy for them, make, or yeah, something? too easy for them, or someone shows up with a, with a with a tank and it's workable, right? And they drive around in the tank. Like, what kind of tank is going to stop because of a, a horde of zombies? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just going to roll over them. So uh, I don't know. Michonne's pretty badass, and uh, she's awesome with that sword. And I'm just very excited about it. I'm not sure if the general public can stomach it, but I know I sure can. Yeah, well, I'm with you. I mean, I think it's going to be amazing, but. If you're not familiar with this and you don't know who she is or what's coming, I can see Mark's point here. People might be like, yeah, come on. But then, on the other hand, a katana is not, it's not a common thing, but it's not that hard to come by, I wouldn't think. A real one is very difficult to come by. Okay, a real, real one, but like a sword isn't that hard to come by, right? I mean, I'm not saying they're lying around all over the place. I mean, you can go to a comic book shop and pick up a sword. Right, but it's mm-hmm. basically you might as well have a metal ruler on a stick, with a stick as a cross piece. Sure, but any convention you go to or um, uh, trade show—not really trade shows, but comic industry events—there's yeah. always a at least one or two vendors there that are selling pretty real-looking, authentic swords. Yeah, those things break, right? Like they're not tempered, they're not—they're com- not properly folded or. Uh, you know, properly manufactured or made by an actual, you know, armorer or swordsmith or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those things, as soon as they hit something that's in, in any way solid, like a, if you hit a door jam or a, a car or something like that, the blade's just going to snap. It's okay, not going to do so, you a whole lot of good. So you're not good. So it is going to be pretty tricky to find a real usable sword. A real usable sword would be very tricky, I think. You'd have to you'd have to break into the house of a collector or something like that. Yeah, you'd have to. Like, okay. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I've seen a few swords in my day going to various uh, uh, conventions or even the one-of-a-kind show or, you know, going to the CNE uh, here in Toronto, the Canadian National Exhibition that happens every August and September. Um, you know, I've seen... A few swords, but they're all replicas. I really doubt that I've ever seen an actual real sword mm-hmm. in my life. Okay, well then we got to stick with sharpened shovel. <laughs> I think sharpened shovel is a great way to go. <laughs> okay, so I think Mark has a point then that you know it might be asking a lot of TV viewers to buy into a sword wielding character with zombies chained to her. I hope that's not the case, but maybe it, maybe it will be. Well, just hopefully they don't find up uh, to get they don't get. Uh, uh, Daryl to jump a shark <laughs> on the motorbike <laughs> on the motorbike because that'd be really bad you know it also sort of depends on what they do with Michonne in season three right you know if they if that was just a really badass introduction to her and then they bring her down to earth a little bit more for season three she becomes part of the group she's not going to have the zombies chained to her all the time it probably will be easier for people to 
latch on to her and get used to her. Well, yeah, and that's what happens in the comic as well, mm-hmm. right? She doesn't have those zombies for very long <clears throat> after she meets up with the group. Right. She doesn't need them anymore. Because she's got a, people to take care of. She's got people to take care of and help take care of. And, uh, you know, she, she beca- does become part of the group, and she's not out, you know, wandering the earth, swinging her sword around, uh, cutting through droves of zombies. That doesn't happen in the comic book, and I don't think that's going to happen in the television show. Right. I think it's just a cool introduction to a cool character that uh, has a lot of promise. Awesome. Bert from Boston wrote in, and he said, I had some thoughts regarding Rick's haste to give Carl Daryl's gun. I felt that Rick was really wounded by Shane's comments about Rick uh, Rick caring more about the Randall situation than about Carl, and I thought that he was especially upset that Carl had chosen to come to Shane about his guilt rather than Rick. Rick already felt threatened by Shane, and he knew that Shane had replaced him as a father figure for at least some time while he was in the hospital. I felt that giving a gun back to Carl without the whole you-should-know-better speech was at least subconsciously Rick's effort to become the good guy again and win back his son's trust and affection. Well, that very well could be. I'm not sure if giving your son a loaded handgun is a way to do that (laughs) in a responsible fashion. Probably not, but in... You know, desperate times, you do some crazy things. So uh, I think Bert makes a good point. Rick yeah. was feeling um, undermined as a father a little bit. Oh, yeah. And he needed to do something to win his son's trust back and decided to give him a weapon because well, that's what you need in the zombie apocalypse. Hopefully it works out for them. One more email. Shannon from Missouri writes in and she says, I have a bit of a theory about the walkers. In season one, they're a bit slower, not as aggressive, and just looking for food. The later episodes of season two, namely Judge, Jury, Executioner, and Better Angels, the walkers are smarter, quicker, and more agile. My theory is that since everyone is already infected, the fever makes the living and the dead more aggressive. Take a look at Shane. Sure, he was already a hothead and kind of an ass, but he wasn't this mean in season one. As more time passes, we see he is more of a dick and even twitches and has weird mannerisms similar to a walker. Right. So it seems like maybe the infection is just making people crazier in general and more um, more aggressive. That very well could be. Including the walkers. Now, this kind of is contrary to the theory that walker speed is determined by the level of um, decomposition on the body. Right. If they're in sort of good physical shape, they can move faster than if, you know, they got stuff hanging off and their bones are exposed and things like that. Um, but it's an interesting balance to think that, you know... Walkers can only operate as quickly as their decaying body will allow them right. versus a desire because of this infection to be more um, more uh, agile or, or right. aggressive. That, that's how I operate. <clears throat> I, only, is, I, I can only go as fast as my decaying body will allow. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You're, you're, you're doing okay. I think so. <laughs> so far. So far. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see. I mean, we'll see as the show pan, uh, plays out. We'll see if, if you know, the, the living characters become more wacky or if the zombies become uh, more dangerous. Mm-hmm. All righty. That is it. We have, uh, we have no next time on The Walking Dead, of course, because there's nothing until season three. Um, after today, we're going to take a short break, maybe a couple of weeks off, just to just to regroup and 
think about uh, the summer and what we're going to do. We're going to plan. We're going to plan ahead. Plan, plan, plan. Here, here's some ideas. Let's let's run down some ideas All for right. future podcasts. Okay. Number one, I think we will definitely do go back to our actor spotlights where we choose actors from the show, watch some of their other work, yep. and talk about it on here. Good plan. We've got a few new actors we can do. We had a request from a listener to do a pretty much non-Walking Dead related podcast where right. we just talk about other stuff we like and give some recommendations maybe for, for you know, if you like The Walking Dead, maybe you'll like this. Pencils. Like pencils? <laughs> Probably not pencils. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Pencils factor heavily into the creation of comics. They sure do. So does all. ink. Oh, I could go on about ink. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you could. <laughs> Um, so we might do that. We might do a recommendation episode. We're thinking about a season, season three speculation episode with, yep. with some special guests. Um, if we do that, we'll try to do it sooner rather than later so that we don't, we don't already know everything about season three. Right. So we can, gives us a chance to actually speculate before we informulate. No, that's not a word. <laughs> before we learn a late. There's got to be a word for that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. So we might do that. And um, there's a small chance that we may rewatch season two and um, just kind of talk about it again. We could watch the pilot episode of season one and then speculate as to what's going to happen after that. Because <laughs> who knows where the who show Who knows? Will go. It could be anything. You know, I still think, and I've, I've raised this theory on this podcast before, but I still think that the opening scene from the pilot episode where Rick drives up to that gas station and shoots the little girl zombie. Uh-huh. I still think that that happens way in the future at some point. I don't know. He's wearing his uniform. Why he does not wear his <clears throat> uniform anymore. He's given his son the hat. I know. And the and the thing... the He's lost his pistol at least a couple of times since then. The, the, the place where it breaks down is that that uniform he took off and put in a drawer in the farm which I'm pretty sure he didn't have time to go back and grab. Oh, sure he did. Before they took off. Yeah, when uh, when Jimmy drove the uh, uh, the camper up and they jumped on and they banged on the roof tw- twice and then they drove away and <clears throat> everything was all hunky-dory, they had plenty of time to go back for the uniform. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> uh, that was an alternate reality, wasn't it? Now, listen, it doesn't. my theory doesn't entirely fall apart because if Rick is the last man standing and this does take place sometime in the future at the end of this show... Yeah. There's nothing, there's no reason he couldn't go back to a police station somewhere, get a uniform, stock up on weapons if there's any left, and strike out on his own. Uh, so he's he's gone over the bend. It bookends the series really nicely. Yeah, he's gone crazy. He's like, I'm going back to my old life, whether you like it or not, you horde of zombies. I'm putting on uh, an old uniform. I'm grabbing my old guns. I'm getting another hat. Something like that. And I'm shooting another little girl in the face. Yeah, you know, because that scene, for me, it, I have a hard time fitting that scene. I can't believe we're talking about the pilot all, all of a sudden here, but I have a hard time <laughs> fitting that scene into the progression of the rest of that episode, right? I don't. It's after he gets out of the, uh, like he, he leaves Daryl and Morgan and he, he goes to the police police station and grabs his uniform and whatever. But before he meets up with the, before he gets to Atlanta. Okay, that that's fine. But what I mean is it's a little girl and he had to shoot another little girl zombie later on. And that was, 
that was such a difficult thing for him to do. Whereas what we saw in the pilot episode seemed like he'd done it a million times. Go before. back and look at uh, watch the look on his face. I'm not saying he, he just, wasn't. You know the way his uh, and uh, I think he did a fantastic job portraying this. He just you know it's like oh do you really need to make me do this again? No, I'm not sure it's again. I think it's like, <laughs> it's sad, yes, I recognize what you are, and oh, it's just like I have to shoot you now. And then when Sophia comes out of the barn, it's it, he's a little more stoic, and he's like, ah, crap, I knew you, and I've been trying to find you, mm-hmm. and now I, you know, I have to shoot you, and he's determined to do it. But that first one, it was just the uh, the sadness and, and uh, horror on his face, just... Uh, I, I don't think he had done it before. I just, I, I, I can't bring myself to agree with you. I don't know. I think someday, I'm going to stick with my theory that someday when this show is winding down, we're going to find out that that scene happened. Not at the beginning of the apocalypse, but at the end. The end of the apocalypse? Well, the end of this show's depiction of the apocalypse. The apocalypse is apocalypse. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the, apoco- uh, the apocalyptic apex? sure why not why not (laughs) all righty that's going to wrap up this episode of the talking dead thank you so much for listening everybody and a huge thank you to everybody out there who has been listening through well since we started or through season one season two um it's it's fantastic to have you aboard and participating like you do and it's it really makes this fun to do Absolutely. So in with that in mind, if you want to give us a call, you can do so on our voicemail line at one 483 zomb That's the zombie line. That's ZOMB9662. We are on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Talking Dead. They switched us over to the new timeline. I don't like it as much. Just just throwing that out there. Right. I'm, yeah, I'm a little... I, I like timeline for personal profiles. I think it works really, really well. It doesn't work as well for uh, like a, a Facebook page like like we right. have. So yep. that's a whole different thing. But thank you for everyone for um, sticking with us over there on Facebook. That's been going really well. Um, we are over 1,050 likes right now and catching up to our arch rivals, Jason and Karen. Oh. <laughs> he mentioned it on their program, so I'm going to mention it here. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. And thank you to Emily Kinney for uh, coming on the show today. That was uh, That was great. Email us at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. We accept all variety of email, and we'll read them on the show if uh, they are appropriate. For The Talking Dead, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.